0: Good morning. good morning. You know, Lent began just this Ash Wednesday, and uh, it was so good seeing so many of you here. I don't really remember. I was in a flu-induced haze through the entire night. Um, but, you know, I'm just curious. There's, there's this popular tradition in, in among many believers and in many churches to give something up for Lent. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't care. Anyone give up something for Lent this year? Like three of you. Well, this is going to work well. All right. All right. I want to show you some things today that I thought about giving up for Lent, um, decided not to give up for Lent, but that affect me nonetheless. Okay? Do we have coffee drinkers here? Do we have people that cannot function in a day without that first cup of coffee? Addicts. All right. I've got here a little bag of Cameron's Ground Specialty Coffee Breakfast Blend. Honestly, I can't tell you how it tastes. I don't drink coffee. I don't despise it, I don't hate it. It's just not part of who I am. But why is this significant? Because I have come to discover something very powerful in coffee that I think many of you have discovered through the course of your lives, but I believe that many of you may have forgotten because of the sick rank addicts you are. All right? And the power of this bag is something called caffeine. Mm, right? We know that. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But see, what's interesting with me in caffeine is that I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I don't drink pop. I'm not into energy drinks. So I have absolutely zero tolerance built up to this thing called Caffeine. I see people who can put down two pots a day and they seem like they are in the same simply pain after pain after pain after pain step. But then it happens. It's right about that two-mile cusp that something starts to change. For reasons that used to be unknown to me, it starts to feel really good. Not only does it start to feel good, it starts to have like this euphoria about it, this, this rush that comes with it. And what I've come to discover is that there's this chemical in your body called endorphins that gets released through exercise, particularly running for whatever reason. And when you hurt hit a certain stage, pain goes away. Agony goes away. Frustration and mental anguish goes away. And all that remains... Is the run and all of its glorious state and what I've come to discover in my life is that when I'm having a bad day um, if I'm weighed down frustrated angry carrying a lot of weight outside or inside putting on a pair of these and going for a run seems to entirely change my demeanor In my perspective. Do you got anything like that? Coffee. Coffee, all right. Is that easier? A little bit, a little bit? But now I wanna share with you one final thing today. Right in here. It is not a bacon taco, but you're not far off. It is a bean burrito. All right? What I've got wrapped in this foil here this morning is a bean burrito. And I have discovered through the course of my life that eating one of these has a peculiar effect <laughs> on me. Things begin to occur in my body that are not polite to talk about in this company. And it's not because it's unhealthy. It's not cooked in lard. It's not cooked in bacon fat or something like that. It's actually as healthy as can be. But I know that if I eat one of these, I am dreaming weird things that night. You know, I'm starting to see like visions and having these like Joan of Arc moments and things like this going on. I I feel different And it's not just for a moment. I can't even put my finger on it. But there's something about the chemical compounds of this bean burrito that seem to change the state and demeanor, both physically and mentally, of who I am. Do you have a food like this in your life? What I want to talk to you about today is the power and the danger of the bean burrito. Okay? Specifically, what I want to talk to you about today is the power and the danger of bean burrito spirituality. And what I would like to challenge in you today is a spirituality that may, despite your better knowledge, be actually based on one of these. Here's what I mean. Okay, each of us here is broken. We, we just are. And, and I think the sooner that we can admit our brokenness, the better chance we have of doing something about it. If, if you're here today and you feel broken and you're wondering if you can be in a place like this, and the broken state that you're in. I'm here to tell you today that Christianity is not about being perfect. Christianity is precisely about being broken. And what being a follower of Jesus is all about and what coming to church is all about is saying, I'm broken and I'm not afraid to admit it anymore. And it's about coming together with a bunch of broken people To stand before one who who let himself be broken on our behalf. I've been tripping over this thing all day, all right? But I'm glad that I am because it's easy to forget about the cross and keep it tucked up somewhere. But have you ever thought about what this symbol really entails? It's brokenness. We worship a God who suffered and who died, who was abused and who was scorned, who bled and who was broken on this thing right here. And if God can be lifted up and broken in our midst, how much more we who are broken come to gather around Him. Amen? Likewise, if you're here today and uh, you don't think you're broken... You think you got it down. You think you're pretty together. You think you've got it fixed. I want to encourage you through this message here today to really do some soul searching, to to hear maybe what God has to say about you as opposed to what you think about yourself. And ask yourself if you're together as together as you might actually tell yourself that you are. But here's what I've learned about brokenness. There is a, I think out of the pain, and I think out of the frustration of being broken, I mean, it doesn't feel good, does it? I mean, it feels a lot like one of these. Brokenness does not feel good. No, no one wakes up and goes, man, I just hope that like I'm broken more. T-. No one wants to be Broken, And I think out of the pain and out of the frustration of not knowing how to deal with that brokenness, a lot of us kind of get caught in this quest of trying to fix it. And I think by extension what happens, a lot of churches actually start defining themselves and in operating around various procedures of trying to fix The broken state that we feel And so what inevitably begins to happen is we start to discover little things that we can do that seem to make the brokenness easier. I can drink four cups of these or I can pop these on and go for a run or do whatever else it might be. And don't we all do this in one way or another? We found these things in our life that seems to help kind of salve the wound of brokenness. But before we know it, It starts to become a new basis for how we think and how we operate and even what the answer and meaning of life is, as though in these procedures or rules, our brokenness can be fixed. Are you with me on this? What I am here to do with you today and what we're going to be doing together these next several weeks at Lent is looking at a number of these rules that I think we have inevitably come to base our faith upon because in one way or another they seem to answer or they seem to offer a little bit of hope to this brokenness that we feel but i'm here to tell you today that as we look at these rules that every single one of these rules is fundamentally flawed and broken I want to ask you, what are the rules that you're basing your faith upon? And are those rules actually broken? Are they actually unable to deliver any lasting kind of repair or wholeness? And the rule that we're going to look at today, possibly the biggest and the one that I see the most prevalent, certainly in my life, I suspect also in many of yours, is a rule that revolves around bean burrito spirituality. What do I mean by bean burrito spirituality? It's a rule that says this. Follow your heart. And I'm here to tell you today that if you're following your heart, you are following a rule that is fundamentally flawed and broken. Now, let me explain to you what I mean. I want to invite you, I want to uh, introduce you to a few friends of mine. Okay, here's the first. This gentleman's name is Dopamine. Okay? Now, dopamine is a chemical reaction or a chemical substance that's naturally occurring in your body and in your brain chemistry. Alright? It can also be found in various drugs and foods and manipulated through a complex set of circumstances. But what dopamine inevitably does for you is it gives you feelings of elation and satisfaction. So if your dopamine levels are raised, and it's not quite this simplistic, but, but just kind of go with me on this. If your dopamine levels are raised, or if I was to give you a shot of dopamine... I can make you feel absolutely elated and wonderful about yourself about your life circumstances and about the Accomplishments of your day So let's say you got a big project laying out there before you right and it's daunting and it's big and you've been putting it off What we can do is we can put you in a room and we can sit you in front of a TV And you can watch like eight hours of different strokes All right, and then what we can do is we can give you a shot of dopamine and you're gonna walk away from your day going Yeah a lot done today (laughs) good day all right it is the power of dopamine in your life now let me introduce you to another friend of mine this one is called serotonin okay do you recognize him maybe you've seen him he's here before i don't know um low levels of serotonin have been associated with things like depression various mood disorders and anxiety Which is to say that God might be looking at you saying, I love you. You're forgiven. I'm proud of you. But if your serotonin level is low, what you might hear is something like, God can never be happy with someone like me. God hates me. What if God is going to judge me? And by a simple chemical change in your brain, you may in fact start to view reality very differently. Are you with me? I'll show you one more today, and, and, and this is a complex fellow. Adrenaline. Adrenaline is linked to something that the psychologists and sociologists and physiologists will call fight. Or flight, We've heard of this, right? Have you ever met those people who are just on fire for your faith? He's like, what lights that guy up? Why is he just like so pumped about this? Well, I'll tell you why he's so pumped about it. It might be because he's got a lot of those floating around in his head at the moment. All right? It's strange to me that giving you a little bit of a jolt of this, a little bit of a juice of this, can utterly change your perspective from cowardice to fear. It can utterly push you from apathy to momentum. It can shift your entire frame of being so that you begin to view reality differently. Now, all of these are God's gifts. God has put them in us and he's given them to us to, to experience and to feel and, and to help and guide us through life in various degrees. But here's the problem. When we begin to view reality Through the basis of these, as to the basis of what is actually true. Do you follow? Because so many people I know have come to base their faith not on what God says, but on what I feel. And what I feel begins to become the basis for how we view reality. And we give it all kind of great cliches, don't we? Trust your heart. Follow your heart. Listen to yourself. Listen to what God is telling you. I have personally become so skeptical of people who tell me what God is telling them. Because I often wonder is it God or is it serotonin? It is a very dangerous thing to base your faith upon your heart. Because when we say follow your heart, what are we really saying here? Follow your emotions. And honestly, let's take it a step further. When you say, follow your emotions, what are we actually saying? Follow what you feel. Follow what you want. And when you hear it phrased that way, doesn't it sound like the shakiest ground of all? There's this passage, I love it. It's from Jeremiah. God God is smart. God knows this stuff. He says this, The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure who can understand it the heart is deceitful don't trust it the heart is not your barometer of what is true and false right and wrong can you imagine if we operated this way as adults follow your heart I mean this is how kids live isn't it my heart tells me I want a cookie Therefore, I'm supposed to have a cookie, and God is telling me to have a cookie? Uh, Are you kidding me? Mom, my heart tells me I want that now, and I'm going to scream in the grocery store until you give it to me, right? God must be telling me I'm supposed to have that now? My heart tells me I love him, so I should sleep with him, and it's okay. Are you kidding me? But don't you start to see how easy it is to start to live this way. Following your heart is a bad idea. I ran across this clip. Um, It used to be an old Saturday Night Live clip. Um, It was actually redone as a Verizon commercial a little bit more recently. But I want to show you this here today, all right? Because whenever I think about what it means to follow your heart, this is what comes to mind. Take a look. Skyhook! Uh. Guys, check it out. Household bleach. No. Yeah, wow, look good. I know, right? I'll tell you what saves gas money. My kids hitchhiking to school. Great call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Don't lift with your knees, lift with your back. Feel the difference? Yeah. You know where surgery's dirt cheap? It's a bad idea, okay? Don't follow your heart. Now, now it's, it's, it's interesting. Let's, let's just pause for a moment. What does that even mean? I mean, think about, let's just unpack the metaphor here for a moment. Because what is our heart? I mean, physiologically, what is our heart? It's a muscle, right? It's our blood pump. I mean, think about it. When someone says, do you love me with all your heart? Can you imagine this? Like two lovers on Valentine's Day and they go out on this like starlit picnic or something and the one is curled into the other and do you love me? Oh, you know that I love you. Tell me how much I, you love me. I love you. I love you so much, honey. I love you with all my blood pump. <laughs> but isn't that what we're saying? What's more fascinating to me is how different cultures use different organs to refer to the seat of emotions. See, for us here in the West, for us here in English-speaking land, the heart has become something that symbolizes how we feel and what moves us and motivates us and drives us. Isn't it? You know, it's interesting, though, that the, uh, the Bible was not written in English. The Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. And in Bible translations, it will talk often about loving God with all your heart, loving people with your heart, giving your heart to God. But when it does it, it's not actually this organ that's underlying in the text. English translators are taking the metaphor that you and I know well and taking an organ that the Hebrews used instead and just changing it for us. Do you want to see what the organ is that the Hebrews used to describe what we call the heart? Here it is. It's right here. Alright? And why is it? Why is it that we why is it that we will talk about courage as being, you know, heaven guts? But love is something of the heart. It's completely arbitrary isn't it but in the hebrew mind i loved you with my guts i loved you with my belly i loved you with my bowels and the bean burritos inside and what i want to encourage you to today is to never follow your heart your liver your colon your intestines your bowels or your rectum or any other organ that might be full of being burrito. <laughs> because it is only going to lead you to harm. Because Christianity is not based on what you feel. And following God is not about what this is telling you because as Jeremiah said, the heart is a deceitful thing. Christianity in God is about a promise, not a feeling. And following God is about trusting his promises and saying, I'm going to say, I am going to understand that what you say is true regardless of how I feel, despite how I feel. Because when the two compete... May your word be true and your promise be true and my heart be the liar. Are you with me? Which means you may be feeling that God doesn't love you. And I don't know why, maybe it's your serotonin that's off, or maybe, who knows what's going on. You might be feeling that God doesn't love you. But does God say he loves you? And forget your heart. Trust God. You might be feeling that you're not forgiven. Because the guilt weighs down on you and you can't shake it, and it infects you and you can't shake loose of it. And so you've convinced yourself, because I feel this way. It must be true. But does God say that in Jesus your sins are forgiven? Then you're forgiven. Trust what God says. Forget your heart. You may be standing at a crossroads of decision. And you don't know what to do. Because you see God's word saying this. But you so badly want that. Let God's word be true. And forget what your heart has to say. To base your faith on your heart is to base your faith on a bean burrito, a bag of coffee, serotonin, dopamine, or whatever else you happen to put into your body that day that controls how you feel. There's a a passage. Paul writes that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The amen spoken meaning going, I believe it. I hold it. I cling to it. Even if it doesn't feel that way. Another follower of Jesus. We'll, we'll put it this way. He says, "Let us love not with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth." This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, does your heart ever condemn you? How do we set our hearts at presence? Uh, our, our, our hearts at rest in His presence. We don't cling to what we feel. We cling to what is true. Because God is greater than our hearts. I've been a believer for as long as I can remember. I was brought to church at an early age. I went to a Christian day school. Faith was talked about in the home. And I believed God was real. The problem was that for years I didn't feel like God was real. I didn't feel like he wasn't real either. I just didn't really feel anything about him. I kind of had just this dry cerebral faith. Here's the facts. Here it is. Get on with my day. And people would talk about like a living relationship with Christ. I would see people that seemed to literally be like enraptured In spiritual orgasm over him And I never could get it How do they feel this way so passionately About God And then it happened I was like a, I don't know Senior in high school I want to say Something started coming alive. I can't describe how. I don't know why. I'm sure it was several factors that led up to it. But something started to come alive, and God suddenly started to feel real. And I'm here to tell you, it was the best feeling I've ever experienced. Things started making sense. The Bible started making sense. Church came to take on a whole new life. My life came to take on a whole new trajectory because now God was someone who was real and he was there and I felt his presence and I experienced what it was like to have his spirit rush over you. I experienced what it was like to have that, that joy of the Lord be your strength and well up inside of you. I experienced what it was like to taste forgiveness. Forgiveness. To be in a place of brokenness and to actually feel forgiven. And I tell you, there was no greater rush that I have ever experienced from these or from these or from these than that feeling. I was on top of the world, I was unshakable. I would have given my life, I would have died for him. I was so in love with him. You know what happened? I hit a point and I stopped feeling it. See, remember, I would get on my knees and I would confess my sins and as I was confessing them, I would feel this endorphin wash. In fact, I felt it to such a degree that in retrospect, I even learned how to manipulate it. I learned how to conjure up the emotion. I felt it, but then it started happening. I didn't feel it. Anymore, And I remember the first few times I started asking myself things like, "Wow, oh, what's wrong with my faith? What's wrong with me? Did I, did I do something new to drive God away? Did I upset him? I know, maybe I'm not praying right. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe, maybe I'm not really coming to God with a full or a sincere heart. And so he's keeping his spirit at bay. It didn't really strike me in a deep way immediately, but then it hit. A terror started to strike. I mean, a fear deep down in my bones because I became convinced that because I didn't feel God, I wasn't near God. Because I didn't feel forgiven, I wasn't forgiven. Because I didn't feel his love in his presence. His Holy Spirit must have been removed from me. I remember crying out. I was in a liturgical church and we had this this little liturgical piece. Um, Some of you might remember it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a free spirit I said that every week for 20 years. It was the stupidest thing I've ever said in my entire life. It meant nothing. But at this moment in my life, I was crying it with my heart and my soul. And what I've come to discover is it because I wasn't really worshiping God anymore. I was worshiping my feelings. I wasn't following God anymore. I was following my feelings. I wasn't a disciple of Jesus anymore. I was a disciple of my feelings because that's all following your heart is. Following that which moves you. Who are you a disciple of here today? Who are you following? Are you following God? Are your feelings about Him? You know, there's some of you in this room that have probably never felt anything about God at all. I don't actually envy you, and that's not the point. To not experience God in that area of your psyche is to miss something great and miss something personal and real. But I'm sure there's a lot of us in this room today who have become so guilty of the other side, of loving and wanting and yearning for God to feel real so bad that we have come to follow the feeling. And to base your faith on that is fundamentally flawed. Do not follow your heart. Don't do it. It is not the pathway to God. Follow Jesus and what he says regardless of what feelings have to do with it. Amen? You know, through Lent, we're going to be doing something together. It's become very characteristic to give something up for Lent. It's rooted out of an idea of of, of repentance and fasting, the idea that if we sacrifice something that we like, that we need, it's an intentional way of saying, God, I want you to know that I'm putting you first despite the fact I want that or depend on that so bad. You know, here at FOF on Sunday mornings throughout these next several weeks of this season called Lent, we're going to be encouraging each of you to fast. But we're going to be encouraging you to do it in a slightly different way than maybe what you're used to. See this is going to work well because like only 3 of you like said you gave something up. So so we're all starting from like a fresh, you know, base here. Rather than looking for some arbitrary thing to give up this Lent. What would it look like instead to give up the pseudo-christian rule instead? What might it look like to say, "God, I have come to base my faith on this rule." And God, I love it, but God, I'm giving it up to you. Every week through Lent this season, we're going to be doing that and encouraging you to take that step, and here's how it's going to work today. I want to encourage you to give up your heart. Now, I'm not talking some Indiana Jones thing where you're going deep in the chest, all right? Nor am I talking about some, some Christian metaphor where we want you to surrender your will to Jesus here today. Of course we do. I mean, that's a given. But that's not what I mean right now. What I mean is this. The feeling that you have come to base your faith upon. What is it? In these packets of paper on your chairs, you're going to see there's a blue sheet of paper. I want to invite you to take it out right now, and I want you to write down one simple word. One word that describes the emotion that has become the basis for your faith, or the emotion that has become the barrier to you getting closer to God. Is it anger? Is it peace? Is it fear? Is it a sense of self-satisfaction? Is it a sense of just going, when I know it's right? I don't know. You do, but I know that you're emotional beings because God has made you that way. What is that emotion that has become the false basis for your faith or a barrier between you and God? I want to encourage you to fast from that today. And to fast from that for the week. And if you're willing to make that commitment, here's what we're gonna do. In a moment, we're gonna gather to commune. Because Jesus said, I love you, and Jesus said, I died for you, and Jesus says, I forgive you, and when we take it, we go, regardless of what I feel, I claim it to be true. And as you come today to claim what is true, Walk by this piece of wood that Christ was broken on and give your emotion to him. Give your emotion to him and say, Lord, this day I choose to trust what you say and not what I feel. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. After the supper was over, he took a cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them. And he said, Drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament, shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the sure and certain promises of God.